Good morning and welcome to episode 349 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. How are you? Mm, good. Mm. I'm tired. This book, man. <laughs> the book is, is, is tough. Have we even, I guess we mentioned once that you are co-editing Baseball Prospectus 2014, which is available for pre-order uh, through our site. And this is this is the crunch time, I guess, for you. Yeah, I, uh, I went to a secluded cabin uh, in, in the snow um, <laughs> with, with no water, no running water. Uh, for three days to, to work on it, uh, and didn't even really make a dent. I mean, it's just this massive, massive pile of words that, uh, 30 hours does nothing for. Um, but it's really good. The book is really good. It's going to be really good. I really genuinely believe that it's, it's excellent. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Some new, new format sort of this year, new authors and yeah, I'm excited. How did, a lot of jokes. How did you get your water this week? Uh, there's a well. I, I took the, I took some a bunch of gallons of water, and <laughs> there's there's a creek, so for like watering, uh, you know, washing dishes and stuff. This sounds a lot like the last the the penultimate episode of Breaking Bad to me. Yeah, did you it was... you walk down to the fence by the road every day and stop and turn around and go back and work on the annual. I know what I did. I actually had to park up. I had to park about a half a mile away because the the road was totally snowed in, and I was worried about getting my car stuck. Um, and it was. In, I mean, it's supposed to have water. It normally has water, but uh-huh. the 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 pipes froze and cracked, and so the the whole the whole water system is messed up now. But it had internet, it was, and that was the important thing. It had internet, and it had a foot of snow <laughs> everywhere around me. So it was great. <laughs> Well, that's nice. So that's why you don't know what happened in baseball this weekend. So we're not talking about anything that happened this weekend. I, I gather. All I know is that you made a a a, a joke about the wire. Uh, yeah, Omar Infante signed with the Royals. Oh uh, yeah. So that's all I know. Um, so we're going to talk about something that's a little slightly more evergreen, but not really. It's also it's also newsy. Okay. Um, and it, it's about it's about the Giants and. Hmm. I wrote a thing last year, uh, shortly before the season began, I think, about the Giants standing pat and about the history of World Series winning teams standing pat and finding that they stand much more pat than teams that uh, lose the World Series. That just that that very, very small difference in seasons, um, big difference but small difference, uh, it seems to cause a, a big strategic change in teams. And... Um, and as I recall, World Series winning teams do worse the following season than World Series losing teams, mm-hmm. um, perhaps because they stand pat um, or something. I, I don't even remember if that's actually what I found, but that's what I remember finding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I thought that the Giants were standing pat because they uh, won the World Series, but uh, upon further review, it seems that the Giants are standing pat because that's what Sabian does. He's he. He almost never signs, it seems to me, from my memory, recently in particular. He almost never signs free agents. He uh, likes to re-sign guys that he has previously traded for. He re-signs his own guys. He signs you know, his own guys a lot and very rarely brings in a lot of free agents, especially of late. And so 
uh, they stood pat after the World Series. They're essentially standing pat after a fourth place, I think, finish yeah. this year. Um, they are essentially adding uh, Tim Hudson to replace Barry Zito, uh, which is a good upgrade um, and one that really they did not have the choice of standing pat with Barry Zito. That was mm-hmm. basically a, no- a non-option. And uh, Mike Morse was signed to basically replace Gregor Blanco slash Andres Torres and give them dingers. And otherwise, it looks like they're going to have roughly the same team that they had uh, last year, and that was very disappointing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can talk about the Giants specifically, but I wanted to talk about something that we reference fairly often when we're evaluating um, team moves and, and extensions in particular and uh, re-signings. And it's the, I forget who it was that, that found this. You probably you probably know. Matt Swartz. Uh, there you go. Uh, that players, uh, that teams, uh, sorry, that players that teams retain tend to outperform players that teams let go. Mm-hmm. And um, this is has always been interesting. And to our mind, this speaks to uh, the team's informational advantage in assessing players. So if you take it that way, then let's say let's say every team signs 30% of their players in Swartz's uh, cohort. Um, and so if, if, the theory, if the theory that, that you know, we've kind of been operating on, which is that teams pick the best 30% and that they're particularly adept at choosing those 30% because they know the players so well, then if they bumped it up to 40% or 50%, uh, that would not be useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, it, they would get diminishing returns. I mean, they would actually be going against their advantage, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, so obviously they should not the, – the result – uh, of reading Swartz study in that case is not sign all your players, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Second, secondly, it might be that a certain percentage of players, um, and I, I don't remember, I, Swartz did dollars per win, right? That's how he, they were better bargains. They didn't just outperform, but they were better bargains. Yeah, they. I think yeah. they, they aged better. Um, they didn't necessarily outperform, but they, they aged better, and, and yeah, they were more efficient signings okay so uh looking specifically thinking about the efficient signings part of it uh you could also this might be a leap it it would be a leap but you could also conclude that well maybe some players take hometown discounts and Mm -hmm. so if those 30 percent of players that sign for less with their original team than they would have elsewhere uh they're simply going to be better bargains because they've taken a hometown discount again if you read it like that then the solution is not to then sign all your guys because presumably the other 70% were not taking hometown discounts. That's why they didn't sign, okay? Mm-hmm. But the third possibility, and one that we haven't, I don't really think, talked about, but seems to be there uh, as a possibility in the data uh, just as much as the preferred hypothesis that we started with, is that players are more comfortable when they don't have to move and that players actually do better when they are retained. And if you think that that if that's your hypothesis and if you if you find evidence that that is actually what is happening, mm-hmm. then in fact 30% is not your threshold, uh, your your uh, your your max, your cap. You should be signing all your guys. Uh-huh. Because if that's the case and if that's a consistent effect, then basically all players are more valuable to you. Uh, all of your players are more valuable to you than to another team. And basically, we can look at it as like, I think I've used this analogy 
before, but like when you sell a house, uh, somebody takes six percent, uh, and you know you have to pay all these fees, and so there's like a li- there's like a little bit gets siphoned off every time there's a transaction, and if we think about that as a, a kind of an emotional six uh, percent fee or something uh, that that takes players um, uh, takes a little bit out of players when they have to move and when they are relocated and when they are finding uh, you know a new comfort zone in a new park and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sh- they basically they have less incentive to leave, and teams have more incentive to keep their players. So, I just w- wanted to bring this up because um, uh, I've always uh, I've spent my uh, probably the last ten years uh, trying futilely to find Sabian's secret <laughs> secret <laughs> genius. Yes, <laughs> uh, and uh, now I'm sort of hoping that this is it. So hmm. I I just wanted to mention it. It's, yeah, that's an interesting theory, uh, sh- and and it wouldn't mean that you should just resign all your players because you would end up overpaying sometimes. I mean, some team will will pay your player more than you want to pay him, more than you think he's worth to you. Even if yes. even if you think that he'll be better for you than he would for that team, you yes. you might still decide not to do it. Right. Um, but you're right. I guess that. That is one one possible explanation for that effect. Um, hmm. Yeah. So they so they brought back uh, they brought back Vogelsong and then they brought back Pence and Lincecum on contracts that were pretty pretty widely criticized, not for bringing back those players, but for how much they paid for those players. Um, also, Javi- also Javier Lopez, which uh, yes, was right. criticized by some for being. Uh, unnecessarily long for a loogie. Uh, it was three years, and yeah. not 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 a super high annual value. And Lopez is uh, extremely good at what he does, so yeah. I don't I don't particularly mind that. But I mean the the point that you basic that relievers are never so scarce that you need to give three years to you know to all but a, a couple of them uh, holds, I guess. Yeah, while you were in your in in seclusion this weekend, the Rockies signed Boone Logan to a three-year, sixteen point five million dollar contract, uh, and I I panned it. I panned it hard <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. because that's a three-year deal for I felt like probably the the least useful reliever to sign a three-year deal this this winter. I would rather have Joe Smith or Javier Lopez at a lower AAV. Or, or I'd rather have them at the same AAV, but they signed for less than Boone Logan did, and the Rockies already had two pretty good lefties, and they just don't seem like a team that really needs to spend on a third lefty. It, I, I didn't like that move, but um, I was— Boone Logan, Boone Logan sounds like the kind of guy who would live in a cabin without water. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I have been wondering how long it will take for the internet to turn on Sabian again. <laughs> because oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, bloggers were pretty unified in their feeling that he just didn't know what he was doing. He was—he's just signing all these veterans to to contracts when they're on the downside of their career, and he just doesn't give young guys a chance. And and then he won these two World Series, and even when he won the first one, it was like, well, a lot of strange things happened, and Cody Ross was amazing, and you know, Pat Burrell and all these people that just were added midseason. It, maybe it was just sort of a fluke, and then it happened again. And once you win two World Series, you you have a, a honeymoon period or a grace period where 
even if you do some strange things, it's almost impossible to, to criticize them because it's hard to luck into two World Series. But uh, I wonder how many how many losing seasons it would take before the old Sabian chorus comes back. Well, this is not a, a perfect proxy, but there's a guy who um, used to tweet as fake Brian Sabian, and he was he was good at it. It was one of the better fake GMs out there. Uh, maybe the second best fake GM out there. And, and he was called uh, Sryan Babian, I believe. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, about, I don't know, a few weeks after the World Series, I noticed that he had changed his name uh, on Twitter. And it was no longer a Sabian. Uh, it, it was like, uh, I, he might have changed it to fake Giants GM or something like that. But <laughs> it was not so uh, directly aggressive at Sabian. And, and the tone of the t- tweets changed a lot, too. And I asked him about it, and he basically said, "Ah, oh, well, you know, he would won a World Series. It's, it's, the the shtick doesn't work as well." I mean, yeah. it, it wasn't so much that he didn't, you know, that that he didn't want to, you know, make fun of Sabian anymore. But like, you know, you don't get a you don't get good feedback when you're mocking the GM who ended a 50 year <laughs> World Series list stri- stretch in in a franchise's history. And um, so, anyway, he did that, and. Uh, it was, I believe, midway through the next season that he reverted back. So, uh, so that's how long you get. You get about a yeah. You get basically like four months or or so or or around there. It's basically one season. Tough crowd. Yeah, very tough. Um, yeah, uh, two is yeah two two is a lot, but uh, I mean, I, what am I? Who was I thinking of? Who? had a good reputation and and just i mean it wasn't jack z because we've talked about jack z but i I was thinking about someone the other day whose reputation is gone no it was i've been thinking about that Um, yeah i i I forget but yeah it doesn't it doesn't last long you um i don't know i guess anthopolis is still considered pretty good i I feel like most fans would you don't you don't know Uh, you don't know I don't know. I don't know that I have changed my mind about him that much, but I I think the, the popular opinion seems to to have shifted a little bit, or at least I, we I, we did an episode on him. I don't know, like a year ago or something, talking about how there was pressure on him either from ownership or from the fans or something. And um, I I just kind of remember back like old up and in episodes when. He was first hired and he made a bunch of smart moves or what seemed like smart moves. And he was just people, I think, put him right into the sort of, you know, the cool sabermetric successful GM club. Uh, It was, you know, like Bean and Friedman and Anthopoulos all of a sudden. Um, And I remember Kevin sort of telling everyone to, to pump the brakes. He hasn't won anything yet. Let's let's wait a while. Um I don't know how much my opinion of him has changed, but uh, it, it, you know, he he built up the farm system and then sort of traded it for a contender, and then that blew up. And how responsible he was for that, you can you can debate. But um, his, I would say, his reputation has has suffered somewhat. Uh, yeah, I I I personally have not changed my opinion of him. I think mm-hmm. that he did the right he did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Everybody applauded it. It didn't work out. Those things happen. That's the that's the problem with evaluating people on you know one trial. Um, it's not necessarily all that telling. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like he, uh, if if my team had an opening opening in the uh, in the GM's office, I'd be clamoring for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Terry Ryan is a guy whose mm. reputation. I mean, he was always like, even when he was winning, there was this like uh, it, it was almost like he was the the anti Billy Bean. Like nobody really. Yeah gave him credit for his tactics but there was a uh, a sort of grudging admiration for his results and this sort of quiet sense that you know he had basically earned a book himself somehow but nobody was that interested in writing about it because it would have mm-hmm. been aesthetically unpleasing mm-hmm. uh, but no, I mean nonetheless he was doing amazing things in Minnesota and then he leaves his predecessor or his uh, his um, the opposite of predecessor <laughs> successor bill smith yeah <laughs> yeah his successor blows everything up ryan comes back uh builds the best farm system in baseball mm-hmm. and basically nobody likes ryan at this point yeah i don't i i, I don't know I, and, and there was some there's some i mean ryan had i think had lost some of the magic touch before that and he's made some you know horrible move well I, arguably horrible moves at the big league level so there's there's a lot of reason to pick on him, but his reputation is not aged well. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Towers, Towers oh, felt like about yeah. about three years ago. Towers was, I I would guess like a top eight GM consensus. Yeah. And now I, I feel so. like has has fallen down to just above Amaro <laughs> in the uh, uh, in the in the punching bag mm-hmm. ranking rankings. Yeah, uh, which sort of suggests that we are probably a little too reactive about these things, right? I mean, is it possible to actually go from being one of the better GMs to one of the worst GMs in the span of a few years? Is it possible that you either lose your touch that quickly or the the competition improves so quickly that you you know, you actually your your true talent ranking falls that far or are we just sort of wildly swinging our opinions Based on oh, of course, yeah, no, of, of course we're wildly. So this is these are horrible rankings. We have no idea. <laughs> uh-huh. Like all of these are dumb. We we are. I feel pretty confident saying that Friedman is is really good, mm-hmm. and that Billy Bean is at least very good, and, <laughs> and maybe maybe better. And uh, Antonetti seems to be uh, above average, mm-hmm. and Dombrowski seems to be at least average and i'm being very conservative i mean yeah. i think dombrowski's great i think he's probably like a top a top six mm-hmm. but being extremely conservative i feel confident saying he is at least average and that's about as far as i'll go everything else will you go negative on anyone uh i've never i've always thought coletti was a poor gm mm-hmm. um but i am uh being conservative in my conclusions i would be uh, much, I would be especially conservative going uh, negative uh, as opposed to positive. So I'm not sure I would say with confidence that Coletti is below average. Uh, he and Amaro are the first names that sort of jump out at you uh, or at me. But no, it wouldn't surprise me at all if God came down and told me that they were average or better. <laughs> you would. It would surprise me if God. Said. Yeah, it would, <laughs> that actually would surprise me. <laughs> um. So uh, do you think that the that the Giants have significant bounce back potential? I mean, it seems like maybe, you know, Kane would bounce back. And I, 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 did do they seem like a team that 
you bring them back and they perform better than they did or is the upside just sort of what they were um probably what they were has probably been in between all along mm-hmm. um it's it's a interesting to me it's very interesting to see Sabian as committed to the World Series club now as he was a year ago mm-hmm. more or less that's a that's like super fascinating to me um and I, I mean I would I, mean, I I don't think they're they should be anybody's favorite I didn't think really they should probably be anybody's favorite last year either mm-hmm. um my guess is I mean Hudson's Hudson's probably a solid three or four win upgrade over Zito. Uh, and I don't like Morse, um, but I would say that you know something like a 83 to 86 true talent is probably fair. And if you're there, they probably haven't done enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess the the interesting thing about the the Matt Swartz, uh, he called it the the other people's players effect or something like that, um, is that I, I mean a guy like. Hunter Pence, for instance, has been traded twice, right? I mean, he was traded by the Astros to the Phillies, and then he was traded by the Phillies to the Giants, and now the Giants are bringing him back. So he is he is the Giants' own player that they are keeping, and so I guess we're more optimistic about his performance because the Giants kept him than we would be if they'd let him go to some other team. But he's also a player who's already been been moved by a couple of organizations i guess the astros were sort of selling all of their Both players so yeah, yeah. so well, i guess uh, right so you have to sort of maybe go case by case if it's just a a team that's selling everyone who's making any sort of money or has any sort of trade value then maybe you you discount the effect in that player's case and you do wonder people. how yeah, you do wonder how long it takes before a player becomes your player i mean they re-signed scudero after two and a half months, they kind of famously re-signed Randy Wynn after two and a half months of like insane hot streak. Mm-hmm. But you know, was Randy Wynn the Giants' player yet? Probably not, right? Yeah, right. It would it would take some time to acclimate to the city and the ballpark and and all of those things that would make you better if your theory is correct. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, both those guys were pending free agents. So, you know, they didn't buy a house or relocate their family or anything like that. I mean, if it was if, it, if it's anything like that that causes comfort level, that would certainly not have kicked in. Mm-hmm. So it seems like uh, I mean, on it on an individual, the, the whole thing seems like a stretch. Then, but on <laughs> <laughs> on an individual basis, a few of these seem like particular stretches. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, I will link to Matt Swartz's research on that stuff at the at, on the podcast post at Baseball Prospectus if you want to go check that out. Um, and we're done, right? Yep. Okay. So send us emails at podcast at baseballprospectus.com. We will get to those later in the week, uh, and we'll be back with another show tomorrow. Two of the worst seasons in Dodgers history. Mm-hmm. Bounces back with one good one. And gets two years and a raise. Yep. Below average GM.